Welcome to Music Matters Podcast with Daryl Craig Harris, talking about all things music with celebrities, artists, music business insiders, and more. William Goldstein, how are you doing today? Great to see you. Uh, it's great to be seen. You have such an interesting background, um, child prodigy, as a keyboard player, composer. Next child prodigy, I'm, next, I'm older yeah. now, but. <laughs> you've, you've gained a few years since then. Um, you've scored uh, over 50 films and TV shows, many classic shows that we all know and love. Um, you are very well known for your three note instant compositions. Um, and that's something we're definitely gonna talk about. And you're gonna give us demonstration, which I'm excited about. So tell me your background. How did you originally get started as a piano player? What was your first entree into music? Well, it's a really interesting question, and it's uh, really an out-of-the-box story because I grew up in a non-musical family. There was no piano in, at, in the home, but um, God provides. And uh, my <laughs> folks were in the hotel business, and during the summer, we lived in the summer hotel on the beach at Belmore, New Jersey, and there was a piano in the ballroom. And so they tell me little Billy, when he was three, four, you know, started going into the ballroom and, you know, and trying things out. And, um, mm. and I imagine it was a rather sophisticated uh, guest at the summer hotel who's, who asked, what are you doing with this kid? And, uh, they, my parents didn't give any satisfactory answer because I was not taking piano lessons from anybody and mm -hmm. nothing was happening. So uh, next thing I know, uh, it's arranged for me to be at Columbia University when I'm nine, interviewed at Teachers College by a professor, Raymond Burroughs, who was the uh, leading uh, piano pedagogue of the day. There used to be these elementary um, read piano books for beginners. It said Thompson or Burroughs on them. Right. He was the, the Burroughs. And he gave my mother all kinds of great advice. The obvious advice, well, take him across the street, put him in Juilliard. But we lived an hour and a half outside of the city and uh, New Jersey. And my mother was not going to send me to live with a family. In the old days, they'd send the kid off to, to, to live with a family in Berlin or St. Petersburg or someplace. Right, right. Yeah. But that, that, that wasn't happening. And then uh, he said, okay, well, um, what about just once a week? Uh, the prep division, bring him up on Saturday. Well, my folks were Orthodox Jews and they weren't going anywhere on the Sabbath. But Burroughs was undeterred. He said, what about a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday? I'll find him a teacher. And oh. um, my mom had, um, my, my younger brother was three at the time. And she just didn't think she could do that, you know. And so the end of this uh, interview with Burroughs, uh, my mom asks, well, I'd like to do these things, but, but it's, it's not practical for us. And will we harm his chances of development if we don't do this? And honestly, this is one of my earliest childhood memories. But what Burroughs said to her still sticks with me. He said, it would be like trying to stop the river heading towards the sea. He will uh. continue to develop and grow. And when he gets to a point where he needs a teacher, he'll find one. And basically that's kind of what happened, but I never took piano lessons. I took trumpet up in high school so I could, uh, or middle school to play with the band. And, uh, uh, 
you know, gradually learned how to read and write. I mean, right. and then I became a composition major and, you know, do all my own orchestrations or and pioneered electronic music. I don't know. Yeah, but that, gonna, that's the early beginning. Yeah, that's, and that's actually, you know, the, the lesson thing is actually an interesting topic because lessons obviously are great in a lot of ways, but in some ways they can actually stifle you, you know, depending on your on what you're kind of doing. But if you already had that kind of gift, you kind of went on your own path, which has worked out well. It's the <laughs> so. big if in my life. What if my right. folks had listened to Burroughs? Would would my originality have been crushed by being put into the pedagogical mill? Exactly. I, mean, I, I don't know. But what's really interesting is I have a classical piano technique. Most people who develop on their own uh, develop a jazz or pop or I'm doing inventions of the style of Bach before I knew Bach. Right. Uh, yeah, you yeah. know, and, and so I don't know where that comes from. It's enough to, you know, have a twilight zone moment or actually <laughs> believe that, well, Bill, yes, you were trained, but it was 200 years ago. Exactly. Yeah, you, you never know. <laughs> you bribed somebody to take it with you in this life. You know, I, I don't I don't really know, but that's yeah. uh yeah, that good always, that, that's kind of always the question with child prodigies. It's like, where did that come from? Is it, you know, you never know. Um, it, it's amazing, actually. Your talent for creating an instant creation is amazing, and and part of your journey um, has been scoring. And you've, you've scored some really well-known classic TV shows, films. How did you get into that part of your your uh, career? Well, uh, I've well, okay, so. Um, my first love was Broadway theater. And I, I was, I had a, when I was 22, CBS television produced a one act uh, musical folk opera, Billy, a bullet for Billy the Kid, uh, which uh, you can find uh, this, the songs on YouTube. Uh, uh, I, I was on a fast track actually. And then the Vietnam War came along and uh, I ended up very, very lucky. I ended up as composer in residence for the United States Army Band in Washington and wow. wrote some great music there, including my most performed classical composition, which is a trombone concerto, which has been recorded by the principal trombonist of the New York Philharmonic and Boston Symphony, uh, but um, called Colloquy, if anybody wants to check it out. Uh, but when I got out of the Army through BMI, uh, they arranged for me to be under contract to Columbia Picture Screen Gems, which was the music publisher of the day. Carol King, uh, Barry Mann, Cynthia Weil, Carol Bell Sager. And uh, that's where I had my first uh, record release, which I wrote with Sandy Linzer, who used to do a lot of stuff for the Four Seasons and whatnot. Um and then I got discovered by Barry Gordy. That's a good and, discovery. <laughs> yeah. But while, I, but while I was with Columbia Pictures, I did do one uh, movie, a small movie that starred Jackie Mason called The Stooley. So I had uh, one film credit. And then Barry uh, heard the um, ABC morning show that preceded Good Morning America. It was called AM America. Fell in love with the theme and did a singles deal with me and uh, to produce that and two other sides. And he liked the uh, two other sides so much, particularly one of them, that he signed me as an artist producer on the label with the intention of having me do movies and produce many of their artists, which I did besides mm -hmm. being a, a, I was a disco artist on Motown, but I did my first major studio pictures uh, 
through Motown. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Bingo Long, Traveling All-Stars, Motor Kings at mm-hmm. Universal. And then I was with um, uh, George Slatter, who did Laugh-In, did a movie with Red Fox and Pearl Bailey called Norman Is That You at MGM. So those were awesome, my yeah. first two uh, uh, studio pictures. And Yeah, uh, and some, some amazing talent. And Barry Gordy just had such a vision. It's amazing. The talent, he had such a great, a great hand at picking talent. I am such a huge fan of this man who really changed my life and gave me opportunities that no one else could give me to enter the world of R&B, which I always loved. I remember when uh, Diana Ross's record, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, came out. I was doing a lot of record arranging in New York, and I, I said to my music contractor, uh, Artie Kaplan, I said, Artie, you got to get me uh, one of these, you know, R&B things. This is a fabulous record. He said, forget it. And I said, why? He said, nobody will hire you. Why? Because you're white. Well, actually, that, first, was a, that wasn't yeah, a thing for Barry. He didn't, didn't care about that. No, he didn't care about that. I mean, yeah, awesome. he didn't care about anything. I mean, he was the epitome of Martin Luther King's dream of a society where you're just judged by who you are, what, what you can yeah. offer. And uh, he gave me incredible opportunities because beyond Motown, after Motown, I started working with Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis and Dionne Warwick and, uh, yeah. and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a really wonderful episode in my career. And then in 2009, Motown released the best of William Goldstein because people were putting my old records up on YouTube. Uh, it's amazing. And, and uh, there's an event in Beverly Hills on October 1st, a Motown celebration. And they've asked me to um, to participate and perform something. I'm not sure what they want me to do yet, but uh, amazing. Uh, it, it is amazing. It really is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's, I'm very par- proud of that part of my life. Yeah, that's something I loved about when you, hey. see, the, the, you see the film, The Funk Brothers. And you see the bands that they use, the musicians, and it was like a diverse, you know, so awesome. Uh, yeah. Given given uh, the, the the racial tensions of the country today, Motown was and is still a microcosm of harmony. Mm. Uh, it it truly is. I mean, because the event that I'm going to participate in is being put together by Barry Gordy's sister Iris and her daughter Carla. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a really wonderful, wonderful organization. So that's, uh, it's, it's a small part of my career, but a, a gigantic one in a way. Oh yeah. I, and those are all, of course, all the names you mentioned are all legends and it's great to be in that space where you're, you're working with genius level folks, right? Barry, yeah, Barry Gordy yeah. being one of them, of course. Um, tell me about the three note instant compositions. How did you, how did that happen for you? Cause I know it's something you're very well known for. Tell me well, that story. Uh, I'm, I'm well known for it now, just for about, uh, 11 years, um, until, or 10 years until 2011, when I was invited to be president of the jury in the first competition of uh, creating music in real time, which was uh, put together by, uh, composer Jan Kaczmarek, who won an Oscar for Finding Neverland. Uh, and he's a Polish composer. He was living here uh, as well as Poland. 
until that event, I thought that anybody who wrote music could just create music in real time, speak the language of music in real time. Because, right. you know, when you look back at the 18th, 19th century, all of these really, they all did this. This was nothing unusual. And then I learned that uh, probably outside of Keith Jarrett, there's nobody really doing this kind of stuff actively. And then I actually even got into collaborative composition, which is creating complex compositions, not just improvising with good, not going anywhere, creating a composition in real time. And I have about seven albums of uh, collaborative composition. The most recent one came out um, uh, last April called Brushstrokes, the intersection of art and music. Yeah, and the it's, first, it's, it's amazing. I, I was checking that out. What you guys do is just really amazing. Well, but, but I have to credit my, my dear friend, Jim DePasquale, who I met when I was a composition major at Manhattan School of Music. Wonderful composer, saxophonist, did a lot of movies, played with the Chicago Symphony. Jim said, why don't we try to improvise a composition together? And I said, Jim, it's not possible. I mean, how is anybody going to know where I'm going? I don't know where I'm going and I don't want to be distracted. <laughs> right. And, you know, and, and, um, I was able to do things with dancers. Uh, that that mm. was easy. I watched the dancer. The dancer listened to me, and we had a simultaneous conversation. I'm speaking kind of riffing, of music. Off, riffing off each other. And, That's yeah. right. But yeah. two musicians. It's anyhow, challenging. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was shocked, but it. We did an incredible album called "In the Moment," which you should check out. And there's one track particularly. Well. Snowflakes is a beautiful track, but Looking for Kiji is such an intense, complex composition that none of our composer colleagues, I mean, they believe us, but they find it almost impossible to believe that we created that in one yeah. take. Right. Yes, we fixed a couple of little, you know, mishaps, but one take. So, so the three note thing started because, um, I, I must say, by the way, I, I recently found out that Franz Liszt used to do this at, at uh, concerts. He'd uh, have people put three notes on a piece of paper, put them in a hat and pass it to the stage and take something out. So um, I was not doing a lot of public performances because I didn't think anybody really was interested in what I was doing. I'm not a concert pianist. I don't play repertoire. And I just make up things. But I, I, I started getting asked occasionally to play at benefits. Mm. And I was always too lazy to prepare something. <laughs> so I was so, just... So that's the perfect answer. <laughs> I, I would get up. Yeah, right. So I, you know, if I prepared something, then I'd wonder about whether I was going to play it correctly. So I would just get up on the stage and I would, you know, be inspired and I'd do something and People would say, that was wonderful. What was that? And I said, well, I, I just, just created it. Nobody believed it. So what I started doing, uh, which got extra audio, audio audience interest, and also at a fundraiser, you know, somebody who gave mega bucks could get up, pick three notes for his contribution, and right. I create a musical portrait for the guy. Uh, and then when I started doing the three notes, well, everybody knew I was creating something in real time because mm -hmm. 
I was taking their three notes and building a piece out of it. And I also discovered, well, even, even before the three notes, people would come to me and say, that really moved me. Mm. And, uh, you know, I didn't think it was anything special. I thought, uh, you know, all right, thank you. You're an overly sensitive person. But when the three notes <laughs> thing started, people would come up and I was, oh, you told my life story. I was in tears and I, mm. I, 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 I should have passed out cards to different therapists that, uh, you know, and take a commission. <laughs> but, you know, it took me a long time to accept that that is pretty much the normal response I get. There are a couple of YouTube videos. I don't know if you saw them. Uh, that were shot for a documentary that is in progress about creating in real time. But there's one called Carla Picks Three Notes and the other one, Annika, The Nobility of the Human Spirit uh, on, on my YouTube channel. Yeah, and, I watched those actually. Well, then you, and so the Carla one is interesting because I asked, it was informally done at 20, 25 actors in my home. And I said to the camera guy who was a friend, don't, get me just focus on the the group and let's see what happens to them mm. as I'm creating this piece. Right. And you see not only the person who picked the three notes, Carla, but the people around her start tearing up and whatnot. And then the Q and a after that is just, you know, it's humbling for me. It is really humbling because mm. I do not really understand the power of what I'm doing or why people are responding this way. I, I, I really don't know. Yeah, but I think that, it's, you know, it's, it's the power of music. I mean, that that's so, it is. I mean, we as musicians, sometimes we take that for granted. And then when you when you perform and people really, the connection, when they really connect with you, it's just, there's just nothing really as powerful as that, I think. Yeah, I suspect that part of the emotion comes from the awareness that you're witnessing something being created. Right. And also, since nobody's doing this sort of thing it is truly a virginal experience for most people and they're very you know in a world where we are oversaturated with media and this that and the other to have a new experience mm. uh you know is my guess as to why that may uh, you know, that accounts. We did interview a psychologist, a PhD psychologist who came over, picked the three notes, cried, had the whole experience. And then we filmed her. And, you know, she said, you know, I can tell you this and I can tell you that. But at the end of the day, like Freud said, a cigar is a cigar. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. You yeah. play, people cry. And then, then there's a very interesting guy. I'm, 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 I'm friends with a, uh, a producer who's based in Tallinn, Estonia. I've been there several times. <laughs> well, I, I was a guest artist at the uh, uh, Black Knights uh, Festival in 2016, thanks awesome. to e Evo Felt. But I mm -hmm. met Evo because he had a film nominated for an Oscar. Uh, and I'm on the Foreign Language Committee at the Academy. And we became friends. And I invited he, the producer, and his director friend on this movie called Tangerines to my home. And I did three note pieces. And they, they were amazed and impressed. So there's this interview, which will be part of the documentary with Evo, which we filmed in, in Tallinn. And he says to me, look, Bill, I spend a year or two and millions of dollars employing hundreds of people to create something. 
which we hope will create an emotional response from the audience. And you, you sit at a piano and in three minutes, you have an emotional response. Well, you know what? I mean, the thing is, you're taking them on a journey, right? And that, that's and and it's also has a lot to do with how you how you um you know show them the process because that's right. the fascinating thing when when they when they're organically seeing the process, seeing you thinking about what you're doing, that becomes very powerful. It's almost like a you know 4D experience, I think. Well, you know, it's very interesting to me to have had this ability all my life, and I've had a good life creatively, but it was a conventional life, uh, scoring movies, making records. I wasn't doing live performances. I wasn't doing master classes particularly, although I would do one or two a year because I became a founding director of uh, the California State Summer School for the Arts because I mm -hmm. was doing fame. And when right. they started uh, putting this school together, since I was doing music for a show about kids going to a school for the arts. They figured I must have known something about arts education, <laughs> yeah. the Hollywood mentality. So uh, the, the producer of the show, Mel Swope, was asked to be on the board. And he said, well, if I'm going to do it, you're going to do it. So uh, it was a happy, silly thing. And I was on the board for 30 years and we would take over Cal Arts and I'd do a master class or two. And it was actually the then artistic director of the school who said to me, cause I used to go up and do a class on music and film. He said, you know, Bill, anybody can talk about music and film. Why don't you talk about the creative process? Mm. I mean, you know, and, and um, you know, you're creating in real time, which I did at the time he asked me, I didn't realize was rare, but I, that, that, that changed my whole focus. And then mm -hmm. my whole focus really changed in Poland because Jan Kaczmarek said to me for the competition, you have to eliminate the three note thing. I said, why? He said, it's too hard. Nobody can do it. Interesting. And, and of the 50 contestants we had, none of them could do it. So we had other exercises. Uh, but uh, it's interesting that, too, because when, when you grow up in the classical world, as you know, that's a very, I would say somewhat rigid world where it's, you know, you, like you say, you prepare the pieces. It has to be a certain thing, a certain thing. And it's when you throw those students into a situation where they have total freedom, oftentimes they don't know how to react. To that. <laughs> so. Well, most of the students in the program were just, uh, you know, pop or jazz. There are only a few classical. Right. But but the, the point is, you know, my, my great analogy is that my real gift is the ability to speak the language of music as easily as we all speak a spoken language. When we are speaking the spoken language, you know, you and I are having a conversation. It's happening in real time. There are large pauses while we, you know, put a sentence together. Hopefully, yeah. You, you know, <laughs> it just flows. Yeah, it's sort so, of like, it's. I always think of it, the analogy for me is always like surfing. You know, you're on the surfboard and then you right, go this way, you go right. that way, you got to, you know, give and take and... So as, 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 as you know, Daniel, that uh, everybody speaks, but not everybody who speaks is something to say. And it's the same thing in, in music. People can improvise and they can make sounds, but they can't, they don't, most people don't have the ability to just take an idea on the fly and work it out. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, although at the end of the day, it doesn't make any difference how something gets done. It gets done. Exactly. And I can't say that my instant compositions are as good as or better than that. It just are what they are. I mean, uh, I mean, right I now, say- actually, uh, I have a huge hit with Remembering Mariupol, a four movement solo right. piano suite created in response to Vladimir Putin's invasion of the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I sat at the piano a week after that happened. And uh, there were basically, they weren't one take instant compositions, but they came together very quickly. And uh, I'm sure it's more to do with the titling uh, than the quality of my music, but we're over, we're about 730,000 streams since May 20th. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I, I would say that, um, you know, listening to the music that you put out, not only on YouTube, but also your um, your albums, I mean, they are amazing. And I, and I, you know, beyond the instant composition, I think they just stand with, with anything else that's world-class, especially the, the duets I, I found really fascinating, really, really good. Yeah, yes, that is, that is, you know, my friend Jim opened the whole door to me because my albums have been done with really wonderful musicians. Uh, I have a guitar piano album with Lawrence Juber, who was Paul McCartney's lead with Wings and uh, mm-hmm. Lily Hayden, who's a wonderful violinist and uh, a cellist who doesn't have a high visibility, but who's a brilliant musician, Maxine Velechkin, and uh, the latest album with Pei Wen Liao, who... Uh, you know, well, if you've listened to Brushstrokes, it, uh, it's a very colorful album. and uh, Yeah, it's all, all amazing. And I, you know, I we talked about, so I think you're, we're going to try a three note with us in our hero session here. All right. Well, then I'm <laughs> going to take you over to the piano. We're going okay, to Okay, let's do that. Awesome. Get a brief tour of the house as we go. <laughs> uh, this is the studio. We're leaving the studio. And we're going into the room where I've recorded Dion Warwick and where I've recorded all of the uh, collaborative composition albums, put the mics up here. Amazing. And uh, I'm going to be recording the, whatever we do on the computer. And I'm going to give you two uh, positions for the camera. And I'm going to disconnecting this for this portion. We can go here. <laughs> or we can go here. I think that's good. That'll you work. You like this one better? Yeah, that'll work. And um, so shall I give you my three notes? <laughs> uh, I don't think I can do a three-note piece without the three notes. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I, I actually, let me turn the volume up here because. No worries. All right. There we go. Awesome. Um, what popped into my head Before was you actually, give me three notes. Yep. Let me just say it's always best if they actually resonate with you. Although you can give me ridiculous notes and you'll still get a piece, so you can, <laughs> you can have your way with me. Or well, I, I won't. Ch- I won't challenge you too too crazily. Actually, what popped into my head was the NBC thing. The bum bum bum, which okay. is was my for my old yeah, ear training, and, and ear training the, class. Does the piano sound okay? Yeah, it's good. It's fine. Okay. All right, here we go.
Yeah, it's a lovely home. Very nice. Thank you. So tell tell me, how was that for you, Daryl? <laughs> I've uh, that always was interested in, in you know people's uh, response to this stuff. That was amazing, and I and I like where you take it. Like you could you could take the easy path on that, but you don't. You actually really challenge yourself, which I which I admire. Um, as a musician, we all know those. There's different roads to take. <laughs> right, like, there's right. The safe, there's the safe road, and then there's the road where, like, okay, I don't know. Let's see how it's gonna go. <laughs> well, what I find interesting is if somebody gives me ridiculous notes, I I I try to bring sanity to it. Exactly. And if they give me something <laughs> very simple, then I want to explode it. So right. yeah, yeah. It gives it gives you options. But I mean, that's there is a, there's yeah. definitely a genius to that. I mean, you know, I know you're you're a humble man and. But I admire that genius. I know it's not it's not an easy thing to do. Um, and I, it, it's a funny trap. with. Me. But it is. That's the thing. If you yeah. have the gift, it's a very easy right. thing to do. But what you know what? I do master classes, you know, and I explain the analogy between human speech and and speaking your art in real time. Mm. Uh, you know, the message is really very simple. If you will. Learn the language of your art so that. You have a, your vocabulary is really right. broad and then be able to access that vocabulary in real time as you do. I mean, my, my, my big, my big, you know, light bulb moment was when I realized the analogy between our physical anatomy and what I'm doing. If I were to ask you, Daryl, and again, forgive me. And even and your name is on the bottom of the screen, so it's absolutely oh. inexcusable. <laughs> but anyhow, <laughs> uh, I had Daniel on the mind. But anyhow, so if I ask you, and I'm going to ask you, Daryl, what part of your physical anatomy, and, and and if you watch some of my videos, you may know the answer, is most involved in human speech? What part of your physical anatomy is most involved in human speech? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's it's a bit of a tricky question because I, I I would say the brain, but there, there's also the mechanics of it, so it's 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 complex. It is uh, the brain is involved in everything, but there's one part of your physical anatomy that basically is active in two functions, hmm. and the one function that it's active in more than any other is human speech. And what part of your anatomy is that? Well, I would say the tongue. <laughs> you got it. There you, you go. got it. Yeah. And very often it's the last thing that anybody thinks of. And the right. reason it's the last thing is because it is so natural. Exactly. When was the last time, Daryl, you had to tell the tongue in your mouth where to go to make a sound? Right. That's true. All right. Yeah. So and, and, here, yep, go ahead. Here's here it is. My fingers over a keyboard are like the tongue in my mouth. Yeah. It's just effortless. Is it's effortless as speaking. Yeah, and I, I have to develop a, a technique, right? Course, and I think I think the but, speech analogy is is perfect because, as you say, you know, when you're you're creating in real time, you're speaking in real time, you're interacting, right. you're, you're listening, you're giving, you're taking. It, it's it's a whole conversation, and I think that that's why what you do is so powerful because you're bringing people along on on a journey, and they're part of the conversation, and that's that's just the connection is so powerful. I think. Uh, it seems to be. I mean, people. People are moved generally. I mean, um, and, and and I'm truly humbled. The more I do this, the more humbled I am because, you know, why, if, if there's a master of the universe, you know, or I don't know how it works, but why give a guy a gift 
and keep it a secret from him. I mean, I've always been able to do this. I just never shared it because I didn't think it was special. And one of the points I want to make in this documentary, if it ever gets finished, is how many people are out there? Not only musical gifts, any kind of thing that is so natural to them, they don't realize that they have a, a special ability. Right. And, um, you know, uh, lots of people have amazing abilities to do things that are just amazing. Well, um, William, um, can you tell people, uh, so your, your latest album that you just released was the Mariupol album, correct? Uh, yeah, it's an EP. It's just okay. four movements. It's about 15 minutes. Hmm. Yeah, and that was uh, inspired by the tragic invasion of uh, Ukraine. And I, uh, and I started it the first week. Uh, uh, my birthday is February 25th, and Vladimir honored me by a day early. Uh, uh, the damn. 24th, he invaded Ukraine. I was in New York, and then when I flew back a few days later, uh, Mariupol had been bombed. There was a theater with children and a sign outside the theater and big letters that said children. And, right. uh, it was it was kind of horrific. And so I sat at the piano and just played. And the first thing that came out is what's now the second movement called Under Siege. Very, very dark. And when I finished that, uh, I, I, I didn't know I was going to do a suite, but that was... It was a good movement, but it was just too dark. It needed to be redeemed. So then I very quickly came up with the concept about, I started playing other ideas. And one of them became the first movement called By the Sea, for which I put a music video together depicting Mariupol as a beautiful seaside resort before the invasion. And then naturally there had to be a movement for the children. So the third movement is called The Children. And then the fourth movement is called A Prayer. Now the fourth movement, A Prayer, is uh, very much inspired by a very famous Handel piece. And it's semi-original as far as I'm concerned. Um, but, and my distributor, The Orchard said, you have to decide which track you want us to pitch as a focus track to the streaming services. And, for me, it was between the children and by the sea. And I agonized and I agonized. And I finally went with by the sea because there was a music video already created for it. And when they went out to the streaming services pitching by the sea, what happened was Apple Music picked a prayer. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Well, and, hmm. and put it on two playlists. The big one, Piano Chill. And I started getting 10,000 streams a day, 12,000 streams a day wow. for five weeks. And then that ended and I got on other playlists. And because there are four movements, uh, the children is, was on, is on a playlist. Now I'm getting about 2,000 streams daily or a little more. Awesome. So it's, it's quite, a, it, it is really awesome. It's, um, it's the, you know, I, I did very well with the Bach effect. I did well with the soundtrack released in January called The Mission, which was to a score I did 30 years ago for a Disney movie. And it took me 10 years to get Disney to give me permission to release the score. And when it was released, Apple Music again came in, put it on its movie playlist, the score, and it opened 
a 30 year old score opened number two under Batman. Oh, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> what's your, what's your advice for young composers? What's, what's some of the things that you really think are crucial to, to starting out down that path? Well, it depends what your end goal is. I mean, is it uh, to write concert music to do movies, but I mean, you know, I mean, uh, the way to earn a living in music is is, is in film uh, or, or making records. Uh, I would suggest people learn as much as they can, uh, learn how to orchestrate. Uh, I mean, I pioneered the use of uh, the uh, technology, which makes it easy for anybody to create music. Mm. Uh, but uh, I, I think at the end of the day, you have to focus not on technique so much, since technique is a means to an end, but you want to create things that emotionally connect with other human beings. And I think that is, uh, you know, when people ask me what kind of music I write, I generally say emotionally connective, uh, because whether I'm doing pop, classical, or R&B, I'm hoping it's going to connect with another human being. I mean, that's the whole point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, clearly you want to uh, be as skilled as you want, as you can. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I mentor uh, a, a number of young people, uh, a number of uh, young pop people, some of whom are, are afraid to demo a song just mm -hmm. on a guitar or a piano, they need production. Right. And mm -hmm. I keep saying you don't need production. Nope. You can just sing a song without even accompaniment. And if it's moving, it, you know, or accompany yourself, learn to accompany yourself, become accomplished on at least one instrument. And I get pushback from people who are dependent upon technology. But, uh, you know, I think everybody everybody finds their own way. You know, if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, there's a path in the world of the arts. It's, there are lots of opportunities. When I started out, you know, before the technology, you had to have a lot of skills that you don't need today. And uh, there were fewer opportunities. Now there are more opportunities, but you know, a hundred thousand fold more people looking for those opportunities. And therefore all of the streaming services of right. tons of content and YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and all that stuff. However you can get a following, you know, however you can get a following is, is how it happens. I, That's somebody asked me about, about my photography thing and how do I get started? I'm like, you got to just people got to be able to see you before they can hire you or before they can, you know, if they can't find you and if they can't hear or see what you're doing, then there's no way to, to, to kind of go anywhere. <laughs> so you just, like you say, you've just got to get it out there. You've got to let people know what you're doing. Um, yeah. And, so, the, 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 you know, it's the good news and the bad news. It's always the potential for good and the potential for evil are always right there exactly. side by side. <laughs> exactly. The more opportunities for good, the more opportunities for evil. All right, now you have so many opportunities for distribution. You don't need a record company. You don't need anybody but yourself. Right. That's the good news. Then the bad news is nobody else needs it either. Yeah. Where's so the how do you get to <laughs> how do you get to stand up and get noticed exactly. in the crowd? Yeah. I, I I don't really know. Mm. I don't know. I think there's a bit of luck involved. 
And, um, you know, in a case like mine, I guess I was born with a, an ability that is not too common, but my career was not, um, did not move forward because of that ability. I mean, it may be made it easier for me to work quickly, but when I'm composing in a conventional way, I'm not any faster than anybody else. And, and uh, you know, I'm doing a movie score and orchestrating it's, and right now I'm trying to, I don't even, I'm almost afraid to mention it because then it'll really put pressure on me to actually do it. I want to write a piano concerto after all of these years. And I kind of started and uh, it's a few weeks now and I have uh, ideas for two movements that are loosely sketched, but mm -hmm. my concept will be to record the piano and then create um, the uh, the orchestra, probably I'm going to use the Spitfire BBC Symphony. Um, I made an arrangement with them to move forward with their with their sample library. And uh, I'm hoping this will open a door because if I if I complete the piece, I will release it on my label. It'll be distributed worldwide and it'll open a door as I did in 1985 you know, creating music on a computer, creating a, a, a classical symphonic composition without having to wait for the Los Angeles Philharmonic right. or the London <laughs> Symphony. Yeah. You know, so this may open a hole if I can pull it off. And it's a big, big challenge. And uh, it, it's a year away if, if that, mm. you know. But well, it's amazing that you uh, continue to create and that you still have a passion for what you do. I admire that very much. And um, you've had such an amazing career, a long career, and it's not over. And that's awesome. It's great that the, I mean, I, I always feel like for myself, I'm going to be going until my last day. Because <laughs> if you have a passion for what you do, then, then you can't really. Yeah, yeah, we're lucky, those of us who, who do have a passion. I mean, I have friends who've retired. Uh, they're not in music. <laughs> uh, most of my friends in the arts, they keep doing it until you know, their brain starts getting wobbly. Right. Uh, but but uh, as long as I'm able, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm really doing so many things. I mean, this year, uh, remembering Mariupol was uh, one, two, my third release since January. Amazing. It started off with the film score, the mission. Then uh, in April, the, uh, Brush strokes, and then remembering Mariupol in May, and the end of this month, I've got a homage to my dear friend and great pianist Mike Lang, uh, called "88." Awesome, yeah. Uh, homage to Mike Lang, a life well played. Very nice. Uh, also, and, like, I like, the, uh, I like the title. And it's it's being released uh, uh, as a as a jazz thing because he was a jazz pianist so i did something that's more jazz and classical so we'll see how it does it's a single but it's uh, he was suffering from lung cancer for about eight months and uh he died on august 5th i had a meeting at the motion picture academy museum at 10 30 and i walked out of the meeting at 11 30 and his girlfriend called me and said, he's gone. And uh, I was shocked. Mm -hmm. I got into my car. 
I drove home, took 20 minutes. I was at my piano by noon. And by two o'clock, I'd finished the recording of the piece. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was just an outpouring of um, emotion. And yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know if uh, John sent you the uh, promo link, but he, he, he can if you'd like to hear it. And it'll be released September 23rd. Hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll ask him about that. Um, thank you so much for joining me. I, I know. I mean, we've, actually only touched the surface with you because you have so much and so many so many great uh, projects still going on and that's very exciting um i will include all your links in the podcast and make sure people can find you find your downloads your streaming uh i know apple pod apple was is one of them apple music um and uh thank you so much for joining me and taking your time i really appreciate it well uh, i first my apologies for identifying you as someone who you weren't. Uh, but, That's okay. but secondly, it's been done before. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, but a real great interview, Daryl. Such a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for joining us. And please consider subscribing to our podcast and follow us on our social media pages for guest announcements.